All right, let's get into it. We're going long today. Oh, no, we're, we're, we're in good time. We're, we're, we're good, but we'll be long. I'm going to be long-winded today. This is, well, these past few weeks, we've talked about some really weighty things here. And they haven't been easy sermons, easy teachings to hear. And, and, and I get that. I understand that. One week I remember talking about how in the end, somehow, in some way, we were all like Pharisees. And then I said, have a great Sunday. And, you know, and you, and you all left and you're like, oh. And then, and then I talked about, you know, Jesus is the shepherd and he, and he calls us. And, and we're supposed to hear his voice. We're supposed to follow him. And I challenged you with, do you hear his voice? And even if you did hear his voice, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to be able to filter out all of the stuff in your life and hear that voice that Jesus is calling you and listen to it and follow him? And that's, 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 a very, that's, that's a hard teaching to get your mind around sometimes. And then last week we talked about boundaries and priorities. And are we called to live our faith journey with boundaries? Or are we called to live it with healthy priorities? And is God the number one priority in your life? Or have you made something very different the number one priority? And, and we kind of wrestled with that. And uh, some, people, some people disagreed with the whole, no, we need to have good boundaries. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, you don't have to agree with me every week. That's, that's fine. In fact, if you don't agree with me, that means you're actually thinking about it. And that's a good thing. But so I've been challenged, we've been challenged with, with some of these really difficult teachings. And I'm sure that you haven't walked out of here on Sunday. I mean, if you've been listening anyway, and you haven't walked out of here on Sunday, and you're just like, you know, the sun is just a little bit brighter today, and lunch is going to taste so much better after that sermon. And thank God that he wants me to be a millionaire. I mean, it, that, I mean even if you're listening, you might have left like, ugh, really, again? Come on, Dennis, can you give me, can you give me something here? But it, it kind of started with me back in April when we looked at chapter 9 of John, and it said that the Jesus word said, while it's still light, we have to do the work of him who sent me. And that caused some tension in me. And I was upfront and honest. I'm like, that just kind of got a hold of me. And I hope that I've caused tension in you in these past few weeks, but a good kind of tension, a, a tension that, that motivates, you know, I don't know if I've used this before with you guys, but it's like a guitar. Strings on a guitar are under tension. If there's not enough tension, the sound is flat and it doesn't sound good. If there's too much tension, it's sharp and it's ready to pop. But just the right amount of tension on a guitar string and you can make music. And my, this is corny as this might sound, my goal for us is to make music in this faith walk, to make music in our journey with Christ. You see, I, I don't believe that I can come up here every week and paint some flowery picture every week of the Christian experience of, of following Jesus and tell you, you know, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what you're doing. Don't worry about what you will be doing. It's all good with God. Everything is fine because the reality of it is the way some of us are living, it's not okay with God. And it's not right. God has called us to live in a certain way. And that's, that's just the truth. And there's this verse in Acts uh, chapter 20 that as a pastor and as a teacher, it's, it's a little weighty for me. It's a very sobering verse. Wes, can we put that up there? It says, therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of everyone. 
For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Let me give you a little backstory here. This is Paul. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's leaving. He's going to Jerusalem. He just believes it's not going to go well for him there. And so he's saying goodbye. And he is pouring out his heart to the people that he has spent time with. And, and, and now I'm not saying goodbye. I hope to grow old with you all. And we can just give the mantle over to the next pastor many, many years down the road who's bald, uneducated, and has tattoos. Okay, maybe not bald, uneducated, but he's definitely have to have a few tattoos before, for him to get the job, right? So, um, not, but, but this, this, what Paul is saying is, if, if you don't get this, I've, 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 I'm telling you these things, and if you're not getting this, if the gospel has not caused you to follow God, if you are still living outside of the rhythms and the harmonies that God has called you to, then your blood is not on my hands. Because Paul, Paul brought them, he told them everything, the easy stuff and the hard stuff. God's grace and the requirement of obedience, heaven and hell. Now, maybe for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting a little selfish. But the reality of it is, I don't want the blood of anyone on my hands. And I believe, even within, even knowing my shortcomings, I believe that to the best of my ability, I will continue to bring you the full counsel of God. No matter how weighty, no matter how hard it is to, under, to, to, to accept. Understand that I know it, and I want you to understand I am a pilgrim on this journey too. I don't have all the answers. I am trying to figure this all out. And I will bring you God's grace, and I will bring you God's love, but I will not water down the word of God, and I will not apologize for the weight that are in these texts. And it's not because... I find joy in sending you out of here with like, on your shoulders. It's, it's really, I love you guys. You're my church family. You are my community. And I even love the people that aren't even here yet. My desire, my will, my heart is that for people to know Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus would cause people to live differently, to walk in freedom, to walk in reconciliation, to walk in forgiveness, and to walk in power. That's, that's my heart. But I will say that today is going to be one of those weighty mornings, and there's just no way around it. And it's not like, this is not one of them, I feel, guilty mornings. This is one of them... I'm afraid mornings. Now, I've been in this text for a while, actually longer than, than my presenting it to you here. And so I've, got, I've had time to like, you know, get it together. And I hope for some in here that it will, will instill in you a fear. That's my desire. And that's, that's, that doesn't fill seats. I mean, we got some over here. Maybe they heard about this coming in. I don't know. That, that's, that's not, that doesn't make people go, oh, I'm giving extra this week. I get that, but I won't apologize for the full counsel of God. So I'm going to pray where you get going. God, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that you caused it to be written. Thank you that it shows us love, and it's a tough love, but it's a love that's, that's all-encompassing and perfect in every way. And so, God, as, as we sit here and we hear these words, Lord, I pray that you would do only the work that you can do in the people that are here this morning. Lord, as always, I ask you, I plead with you that the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, John chapter 10. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus continues to speak about um, sheep and, and his relationship to the sheep. And then he says that there's other sheep that are not in this pen other sheep that are not within the Jewish community. Maybe this is the first reference to outside the walls. Jesus says, I'm going to bring them with me. They are going to know salvation. And he talks about this idea that no one takes his life from him. No one. He lays it down freely. He gives it freely. And then he will take it back up again. This is the relationship that he has with the Father. He gives himself Freely. And then and then the next couple of verses, the Jews are just kind of split. They're like, this guy is demon-possessed. And some are like, well, how can a guy that's demon-possessed be talking about, about such deep spiritual things? And then we find in verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him, saying, how long... Will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So out of the whole chapter 10, there's this continuation of thought, but there seems to be a little jump in the time. We are now at the dedicate or the feast of the dedication, which is, it's Hanukkah. It's the Hanukkah celebration. This is the festival of lights. It's an eight day celebration celebrating the Maccabean revolution when, when the, when the Jewish people were being oppressed. And the Maccabees revolted. They take back the temple. They go in. They want to rededicate the temple. But the menorah has been stolen. They make one out of cheap metals. But they only have one day of oil. One day of olive oil for the menorah. And the olive oil just can't be any old olive oil. It has to be sacred. It has to be pure. It has to be prepared in a certain way. All they have is a day. And they fill it. And they light the candle. And miraculously, God allows that menorah to burn for eight days while they prepare the sacred oil. This is, what's, this is, what they're, is what they're celebrating at this point. And it's also a celebration of the Jews... We're under oppression, and now they have been set free. Now, John could be just telling us this little bit of information because he wants to set maybe a point of reference, a point in time for when all this is taking place. Or he could be showing, he could be pointing, comparing that Jesus will ultimately free his people. Jesus will ultimately lead the people out of oppression forever. That he fulfills this Jewish feast. In fact, Jesus will fulfill all of the feasts in the Old Testament. And we, by, the, by the time this, this whole thing is taking place, the people, the people are getting in his face a little bit. They're, they're, they're asking him the question, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Are you the Messiah? Now, some commentators, it's interesting, they, they, they kind of translate this a little bit different, and they will, say, they will say that it's more forceful. They're asking, how long will you plague us? Or how long are you going to take away our life? Because what Jesus is representing, what he is bringing them, is 
is really an end to the traditional Judaism that they have known for thousands and thousands of years. He is bringing something very new and very different. And the people want to know, are you really, are you really the guy? And, and not only that, but he's talking about bringing these other people that are not of the Jewish faith along with them. This not only ends their, their traditional Judaism, but this also means that they, are no, they no longer hold exclusive rights to God. And this would have shaken them up because they thought, we're in, everybody else is out. Unless you convert to what we're doing it and what we're doing and how we're doing it, we are in and you are out. This, this would have really hit home and shaken these people up. No longer would the Jews be just the ones. No longer would they only know the favor of God. It would, imagine it would be like, okay, this guy appears, okay? And he starts doing miraculous stuff like 2010. And he's doing miracles, man. And we're just like, oh, and he's teaching the Bible in a, in a whole new way. And he shows, and it, we're on the circuit. And he stops by Oasis and he comes up front and he goes, you know what? You all have been doing it wrong. You are misinterpreting the scriptures. You are not living the way God has called you to live. And oh, by the way, be healed. Oh, by the way, you've got a demon. Oh, you're out of there. And people are screaming. I mean, it's just like this amazing thing's happening. But wouldn't that rock you to your knees a little bit? If you found out that everything you've believed, you've been doing it wrong, this is what the Jews are experiencing right now. All of their tradition for thousands and thousands of years, they've been missing the point. And so they say to Jesus, enough with the word games, enough with, with making us crazy. Will you give us an answer? Are you the Messiah? And here's his, here's his answer. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Within, within Judaism, the, the idea of Messiah had a few different interpretations, you know, from like who and what and where Messiah would come from. And in that, for Jesus to just say yes or no, it would have been very confusing for the people. Now, understand that in the gospel up to this time, yet Jesus hasn't publicly answered this question. Yes, the, the woman at the well got her answer, and the blind man, yes, uh, he got his answer. But publicly, Jesus has not come right out and said, I am the Messiah. But what he will tell them, the things that I am doing, the things that I am teaching, the signs and wonders that you see should plainly answer that question of who I am. I am doing them in the name of my Father. And if these people would come to Jesus with a right heart like his sheep do, then they would have understood. They would have been brought to a place of belief, and that belief would have been brought to a place of faith, and things would have changed for them. But they don't believe. And he tells them, y'all just, you don't believe. You're asking the question, but you don't believe. It's like them asking, um, we don't believe you're the Messiah, but are you? Because they're not sure. I mean, there's some pretty amazing things going on. But they want to know. They have heard and they have seen what's going on in the name of God. The teachings, the signs, the wonders are all pointing to who God really is. They're pointing to Jesus and who Jesus really is. And these people fail to see the significance of it. They are missing the point. They are not open to paying attention to the things of God. 
But, you know, too, too often, I think in the Bible, as, as we go through the New Testament, we like to look down our noses at these types of people, you know, just like, oh, they don't get I me. Mean, Jesus is right there. They're not getting it. And, you know, what's up with that? I don't think we would do much better. And you know what? I don't think we do much better today. I mean, we all miss the point sometimes. We all fail to see God moving and working around us. Sometimes it's for dumb reasons or sometimes it's for really good reasons. But we all get busy. We all have our stuff and we all sometimes miss the point. We all miss what God is doing. And in my experience, I have found, I've had conversations over and over and over again of people who no longer see the work of God because, because of church. Oh, I had a conversation with a, a guy in his mid-20s a couple months ago, and we we're just talking about stuff, and we landed on on. A, faith in God. And, and he grew up in a church. He loved his church. He was active in his youth group. Uh, he would go to Appalachia and he would build houses um, every year, sometimes twice a year. And he just, he just loved it. And his youth group was great. And then the new pastor came in and all of a sudden he started to make all of these rules. And then eventually he canceled the trips out to, to build these houses because there was not enough evangelizing going on. And all of a sudden, youth group changed, and you couldn't do this, and you couldn't do that, and you couldn't do this, and you had to do this, and you had to do that. And he was just, he, all of a sudden, he just got kind of done with church. And then, all of a sudden, then his mom gets sick. She gets cancer, and he's just devastated by this. And he said to me, Dennis, you know what? I just don't see God working anymore, anywhere. I'm like, oh. to think that the very thing that, that I dedicate my life to after hopefully my family and my relationship with God, but church sucked the Jesus right out of this guy. And I had the conversation with him, you know, everything, all of creation reflects the glory of God. And we went through some things, and, you know, and, and I don't know if I did any good, but, but, but everything around us reflects the glory of God. You know, one of my most profound experiences, God experience in my life was watching the birth of my two kids, Megan and Ethan, to see your children being born. And, you know, it goes way beyond some biological function. You know, I've seen puppies being born. I wasn't like, oh, I'm more like, yeah. And, 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 and I've seen, I think it was like in grammar school or something, we, would, we, would, we took the incubator and we took the chicken eggs and we would we'd incubate the chickens and we'd watch them, you know, from a little egg to, wow, this is a real chicken. But you know what? We eat chickens. And so that wasn't such a big deal for me. But watching your children being born. And, and, and it was just one of the most amazing experiences. I know for women at the time, it's not so amazing, but for guys, we don't get to do that. And it's probably a good thing because, you know, the joke that we would only do it once and then be it. And I don't think that's a joke. I think that's reality. But, but to, to, to watch life give birth to life, it's, it was most, it was one of the most profoundly beautiful, deeply spiritual, kind of gross things that I've ever seen in my life. And how can you argue that there is no God? How can you argue that, that God isn't at work? I mean, I guess you can, but you'd be wrong. But how, I mean, and so we see the glory of God around us in everything. And so Jesus is telling these people, listen, I'm doing it, but you don't get it. You don't believe you're missing it. And then he'll say this. Can you, I think I'm blocking him out. Equal opportunity offender on this side now. I give them, he's talking about a sheep, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. The reason why the sheep cannot be snatched 
out of the hand of Jesus is because ultimately the sheep are God's. They are his possession to begin with. Jesus is stating his divinity here. He is God, and God will not, and God cannot lose. God doesn't make mistakes. And this would have really kind of freaked the people out that were listening to this. Jesus is claiming to be God. This is, this is blaspheming. But it's also an amazing promise. That the sheep, the people who follow Jesus, that hear the shepherd's voice, that make the decision to follow, that put their faith in the shepherd, no one can take you from his hand. No one. Jesus will not lose you. Let me put this plainly. Let me take the stand. Let me take the position that we in church world have battled throughout history. I'm going to come down on one side of the coin. I'm not going to stand on the fence. I believe what the scriptures teach us is you cannot lose your salvation. Once you have been saved, once you have become the the sheep of Jesus, once you hear his voice and he knows you and you know him and you follow him, you cannot be lost. It says that nothing will take you out of his hands. God doesn't write your name in the book of life and then you mess up like probably the very next minute. And he's like, oh, I would never expect this behavior from him. <laughs> Jesus, get the pencil. Erase his name. We're done. He had his one chance. That's not the way God operates. The good work that God has begun in each of us, he will see to completion. He will finish it. But, and there's always a but. This is where it's going to get weighty for us. I've seen too often in the church and Christian worlds where we've kind of just watered this whole salvation thing down. And all we try to do is get people to say a prayer. Man, if you can get them. I remember being in youth group once. Um, I, was, I was never in youth group. I was a volunteer for youth group. I grew up a pagan, hardcore. Anyway, um, this guy came and he was teaching on evangelism how to evangelize, like just people that you don't see, or, or I'm sorry, people that you've never met. And, and he used the example of going to the mall and he had all these steps written down. Said, this is what you do. You walk up to the person, hey, can I ask you a question? If the person says yes, you say, if you die tonight, where would you go? And then, you know, this whole dialogue and you go through the steps and if they answer correctly, you know, you got the flow chart, oh, this is a good one. This, and you get to the end and you have them pray the prayer. And at the end he said, and then you just, you shake their hand and you say, welcome to the family and we'll see you in heaven. And I'm just sitting there and all of these, these kids in youth group are sitting there. I'm like, really? That, that just doesn't sit well with me. Is it that easy? Because if it was, then everybody would be doing it. Just to say a little prayer. And so we've, we've, taken, we've taken the weight of salvation out of it. And we just kind of make it this, this watered down. Oh, just say the prayer. Say the prayer. Did you say the prayer? I've seen pastors just whoop people up emotionally just to get them to say the prayer. Have you ever been to a junior high uh, youth um, conference or something? Year after year after year. Those junior hires go back every year. Altar call, Woo, I'm in, I'm going down. Just got to make sure I rededicated my life to God. Come on. So what's going on? What, what, what is it? Where's the butt that I'm going to with this? Well, let's go there. Hebrews chapter 5. 
No, go back. Go back. There you go. We have so much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Next slide, Wes. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. I owe my my theological insight to this from a pastor named Matt Chandler who taught on this four or five years ago. And this thing is just just stuck with me. And like I said, I've been wrestling with this for a long time. So um, if, you, if it wigs you out a little bit, that's okay. What's going on here is the writer is pleading with the people. Listen, people, you should be getting this. You've been at this long enough. You should understand these things. You should be teachers by now, but instead, you are being taught. You have been doing this long enough so that you should be teachers. But you're babies. You're not mature. You should be eating prime rib and lobster, but instead, you're you're drinking a bottle with milk. Now, in saying that, if, if, if Owen Dennis, baby Owen was here, and he was drinking a bottle with milk in it. He's what, five months old, four months old? We would be like, well, oh, isn't he cute? You know, he threw up on himself. You know, and, and, and so that would, be, that would be fine. There'd be nothing wrong with that. But, but say, if, okay, say if Don here, okay, he was laying across Kim's lap, all right, his feet up, and he had a bottle, and it wasn't JD or anything like that, right? right? So, so, and he's drinking milk. Most of you would probably start to leave. And some of you might even call the police because that would just be a little bit awkward because adults acting like children should not be. And what the writer here is saying, you all should be adults, but you're still acting like children. You need to get this stuff. You need to grow up in your faith. Get rid of the the easy things. And look at some of the easy things he says. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. You know what he's saying there? You know that thing that you're always saying, I'm never going to do that again? You know that thing that you come to church every Sunday and go, God, please forget, I just, I am never going to do it. I'm never going to do that again. He's saying, get over that. Stop it. Get some help. Do what you need to do. Put that to rest once and for all. Stop coming back over and over and over and over and over. Grow up in your faith. Then he says, and the faith in God. You know, that's very simple. Either trust God or don't. When things get hard... Still trust God. And and don't just trust him in the easy things. When things get hard, still trust him. Either trust him or don't. Make your decision. And then, end of faith, um, I'm sorry, instruction about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands. All he's talking about there is the aesthetic things in our faith. For us, it would be like, you know, Stop complaining about the curtains. Well, I'll give you, you can complain about the curtains here. Okay. But, but you, know, you know, stop complaining about the music or how people dress. Those are stupid things. Those are elementary things. Get over those. And then the last, and, he, and 
the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He's talking about end times. Stop your dumb little debates about the end times. Here's what's going to happen in the end. Jesus comes back. And maybe you should live your life like Jesus is coming back. Not discussing if the locusts in Revelation 7 are really Apache helicopters taking over the world. It doesn't matter. Jesus is coming back. And you know what? And you know what? Eternal judgment? Some people will spend eternity with God. Other people will spend eternity separated from God. Those are the elementary truths of our faith. And he's saying, that's, that's, you're stuck on those things. Move on. And then he will go into one of the most hotly debated texts in all of Scripture. Hebrews 6, verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. What this is saying, and this is my belief, this is the way I interpret these scriptures, and I know people will, will, will uh, argue against it, and that's okay, but what I see this as saying is this. You, it's not saying you can lose your salvation. What it's saying is that you can take part in very deeply spiritual God stuff and never possess salvation at all. And that should be way more scary than the idea of losing salvation. That you can take part in God stuff and never be eternally secure, never have your name written in the book of life. And that should freak people out. It freaks me out. Yeah, but, 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 one, but enlightened? You know what that means? It means you can explain the scriptures. That's all that means. You know, I've, I've listened to many the, uh, theologians, both on the Christian side and even on the Jewish side, explain and teach the scriptures and still have no reverence that it's the word of God. Still have, they just don't believe that it's, that it's actually taking place. It's just some fabricated stuff. It teaches really good moral stuff. Even some uh, professors that, that would teach the Old Testament that just don't believe that stuff is historically true. It can't be because of, and they, and they come up with their arguments. All that enlightened means is that you can teach the scriptures. You have a basic understanding what it means. And, and what about, but what about like you shared in the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's, that's some, the Holy Spirit, really? Well, you know, in, in, the, in the, the New Testament, you got this guy by the name of Judas Iscariot. And Judas Judas is casting out demons. And then eventually he's going to throw Jesus under the bus. He's going to betray him, ultimately setting up his death. Good for us, not so good for Judas. And if, and if, that, if that doesn't drive the point home a little bit, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. This is the words of Jesus. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell you, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Prophesy. 
driving out demons in the name of Jesus. Many miracles. These are, these are major things. I mean, I have, what do I have? I have like the gift of sarcasm. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm really full of it. I, I, and I, maybe that wasn't the right way to say it. I really am been blessed with it. But, you know, but I've never like, I've never driven out a demon. I, I don't think I've performed any miracles. This is not, you know, Jesus, I go to, I go to church. Every Sunday, haven't missed a Sunday, and I sing on the choir twice a month because, because I have healthy priorities and I want to spend time with my family. Ta-da! No, no, no. This is, this is, are you getting this? This is, be healed, get up, walk, demon, leave him. This is major weighty stuff. At best, maybe I can, has, I have the gift of encouragement. Woohoo! And what does Jesus tell them? You know what? I don't even know who you are. Get out of my face. I don't even know who you are. Wait, we did the stuff in your name. I don't know you. I don't know you. You see, you can take part in deeply spiritual things and never have a relationship with Jesus. Let me say this. It's only a relationship with Jesus that leads to eternal salvation, period. That's it. A relationship with Christ is the only thing <clears throat> that saves us. Not what we can do, but who we are in that relationship. And I believe, well, <clears throat> excuse me. Once you've been saved, you can't lose it. You cannot lose. I believe the scriptures point to it over and over and over again. And even the book of Hebrews is continually pointing to it over and over and over again. Thank you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go. I'm going to show you just one. Chapter 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Made perfect perfect forever not till you mess up not till god changes his mind not till something goes wrong not till you decide that this isn't for you anymore made perfect forever forever is a very very long time made perfect those who are being made holy who are in the sanctification process who are still in profit process holy forever I believe that you cannot lose the salvation that God has given you. But there are people sitting in churches this very morning all across the United States, maybe all across the world. There may be people sitting here this morning. I don't know who you are. I don't think anybody else knows who you are. Maybe you don't even know who you are. Maybe I'm one of them. I hope not. I've had a lot of time to work with this, this text. You may look good on the outside. You may be doing it with seemingly all the right stuff. You're doing all the God stuff. And, and you're trying to take part in all the God stuff. And Jesus doesn't even know you. He doesn't know who you are. And that, that should make us afraid. But like a good kind of fear. The fear that keeps you from playing in traffic kind of fear, you know? That to keep you to keep you safe. 
Listen, I don't want, I don't want people laying in bed tonight, tossing and turning like, am I in? Am I out? I mean, does he know my name? Am I a goat? I mean, that's, that's not what this is about. And if you don't get the goat reference, read your New Testament and you'll get there. Anyway, so I, I don't, this is a healthy kind of fear that should be instilled in us. Let me show you what I mean. Um, next slide, Wes. And I'm actually going to read, I need to, I was reading this over last night and I want to add another verse to this. So I'm going to read, um, we'll start in verse 9 of Hebrews 6. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. So there is this thing about salvation that, that needs to take place. There's something that, that, that is all-encompassing around this idea of salvation. And then he says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. What, what they're saying is this. The things that you know in your faith, the things that you read in the Bible, the things that the Bible teaches be diligent and start living those things. Start, start practicing those things. Live what you know. Live what the Word of God teaches you. This is not about earning. This is about the fruit of the Spirit. This is about living in the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and all of the other ones that, you know, gentleness and self-control. Those are the evidence of the Spirit within you. Those are the evidence of, of the things that, that have changed your life when you begin to live those things. Don't be immature. Start to grow up in your faith. Why? Why should you live this way? Why? Because it makes your hope sure. You can be sure in your salvation because you're living the way the Spirit has called you to live. Again, this is not earning salvation. This is about possessing salvation. And when you possess it, things change in your life. Your heart changes. And you cannot help but to live differently. You cannot help but to have love and joy and peace and patience because you possess salvation. And that is secured because of what Jesus has done. You can't lose that. Does, does your sin bring you to tears or at least make you uncomfortable? And are you looking to God to say, you are my number one priority? I mean, are you aware of the activity in God in your life every day, all day? Or is he just this, this second thought that pops in every once in a while? It's time that we, we grow up to live as mature followers of Jesus. If you're not sure, if you're afraid, maybe you should be. Maybe you should be afraid. But this is, this is the good kind of fear. This is not 
fear that should put you in the fetal position crying. This is a fear that generates and motivates us to get on with it. This is the kind of fear that, that changes lives and changes direction and brings people to honest and open and heartfelt repentance. Not curled up in some ball somewhere going, I'm out, I'm a goat. It's not God's desire for us. Jesus said, I know my sheep and my sheep will hear my voice and they follow me. And I will never, ever lose them. No one will take them from me. I, am, I and the Father are one, and, and God doesn't lose. No one will take them from me. But the reality of it is, if I came here next week, next year, 10 years from now, and I stood up in front of you all, I said, you know what? This, this is garbage. This book is a joke. I do not believe it anymore. I have not walked away from my salvation. I have not lost my salvation. I never possessed it. And all I did was take part in spiritual things, and Jesus never knew my name. And how much more... If, if just going through the motions of prophesying and casting out demons, I mean, how much more should we look at our own lives? Are we living in relationship to Christ? Are we living in relationship with Christ? Are we living in relationship with Christ? Is he number one? Is he the priority? Do you have the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and the faithfulness and the self-control in your heart? And from that, it just explodes out and things are different around you and you live your life differently. Are you in relationship with Jesus Christ? And you know what the Bible says about all this? The people who really need to hear this are the people that are just gonna shrug it off it's going to be hard for them to hear because they choose not to repent. They choose to do their own thing. The choice is theirs. It's what Hebrews uh, 6 talked about. You can't lead them back to repentance because they don't want to go. It's all about them and what they're doing. And then in verse 12, if, if, here, here's, here's the encouragement in the next slide, Wes. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Don't waste that nervousness, that tension. Don't waste that fear. Don't be lazy. Don't just let it be, ah, whatever. I got plenty of years left ahead of me. Do something about it. Find a godly man. Find a godly woman. Somebody who has persevered in the faith and their life just reflects the life of Jesus and say to them, can you help me? Can you help me get this? Can you help me better understand this? Can you, can you disciple me and lead me on this path, this, this path of faith? And then the best that you can, follow Christ. Not just the showy, ooh, look at me and look at the things I'm doing stuff, but the everyday what's in your heart stuff. Jesus said, I know my sheep. And my sheep, they know me. And they know my voice and they follow me. And no one or nothing will snatch them from my hand. But the, the fear is some people think they're following Jesus. 
and he doesn't even know their name. Let's pray. God, that's a scary text right there. Mm -hmm. But God, it's in the Bible for our edification, for our sanctification. God, I pray, I pray, I pray that if there is someone here that is that is a little bit worried, nervous, downright fearful, that that fear would cause them to move in a direction that is the cross, that is Christ. That they would know you on an intimate level, that they would know you, have a relationship with you, not just this, look at what I can do for the kingdom, but look who I am to Jesus. God, I ask you in your great mercy and grace that you would lead each one of us to, to the path that we need to be on, to the path that we need to get on, to the path of righteousness for your name's sake, not for making us look good. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and that will never change. Thank you that you want us to return to you so much that you gave Jesus and had him killed. Amen.